Hello, hello, and welcome to Seattle Real Estate Radio, the podcast. I don't know why I'm calling it that, but that's what it's going to be called, apparently. I like it. I like it, too. Um, This is Christian Nossum. I am a real estate agent and uh, the founder of the Awesome Nossum Group here at Wilson Realty. And I also have my two favorite real estate agents on my team here with us as well. So why don't you guys introduce yourself? Hey y'all, my name is Jason Saldariaga. I'm an agent with Awesome with the Awesome Nawesome Group, and next to me is uh, Mr. Anthony with his smooth jazz voice. I know, jeez. Hey there, yeah, this is Anthony Cimenti, also an agent with the uh, Awesome Nawesome Group, recently recruited on the team. Uh, looking forward to the first podcast. Yeah. Ooh. So Anthony was a former late night jazz host on Cake. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> he was like not, it. but he should have been. Yeah, he really should have been, yeah. and I should not be on the radio. But I'm the only one that actually had a real radio show in the past. So Burr. how does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this whole podcast is basically geared around educating you. So we are obviously real estate agents. We are bringing on Dan Keller, who's a mortgage broker or a lender with Guild Mortgage in Northgate. He's going to give us a quick rundown of the mortgage market. He's going, to get, he's going to explain why interest rates have recently jumped and where he thinks they are going to go. And he's going to un, uh, kind of explain the reasoning, all the reasoning behind that jump so you understand why it's happening, um, so you can kind of make a better, more informed decision on what you should be doing in this market. Then after that, we're going to briefly go over the top three neighborhoods in Seattle that we kind of see as the most up-and-coming neighborhoods currently and tell you our reasoning why. So stay tuned for that. So first, I want to go over the actual real estate market with you guys and explain kind of where we're at so we can educate people on on what's going on. So um, in Seattle, and I'm only talking the city of Seattle here, our current supply on the market is only, we're sitting at exactly one month supply. Wow. Yeah, so in an even market, that should be six months supply. We're at one. Now, this is better than it was in December where we only had two weeks, but still one week or one month is not good. So what does a one-month supply mean? What, what is that? That means that if no more homes came on the market for sale, they would, it would take one month for them to all sell, and then there'd be nothing available for sale. So Makes that's sense. what that means. Hmm. Uh, so one thing that people are always worried about and what we're always hearing in the headlines and stuff, which is, I mean, there's a reason you're hearing it because it's kind of true. Homes are going for over the asking price. So for example, from, or in April of 2018, right now it's currently May in April, uh, the average percent over the list price was 103.7%. So basically, homes were selling for 3.7% more than what the asking price was on average. Now, compared to a year ago, we're actually doing a little better in terms of, well, if you're a buyer, because a year ago in April 2017, we were at one point, or 104.6%. So that was 4.6% over. So now we're at 3.7%. So that homes aren't selling necessarily as much over the asking price as it was a year ago. That's a good thing. Yeah. So bringing it back to December, like I was just talking about with the two-week supply, also in December, homes were selling right at the asking price on average, right at 100%, which is kind of interesting. But that also goes, 
it, it plays. If you ever come to any of our beers and home buying classes, you can always look at those. They're free, beersandhomebuying.com. Um, in that class, we always talk about the bell curve. So from January to December, you imagine a normal bell curve like back in high school when you learned about it or oh, middle school. Don't <laughs> when was me. that? I don't, don't know. remind me. Anyways, that, that bell curve basically follows the months of supply or the amount of supply on the market and the number of buyers that are also on the market. They usually are pretty hand in hand. So in December, you're going to have the lowest amount of supply, also the lowest number of buyers. Pricing also tends to follow that same bell curve. So prices tend to go up a little bit less in December. Yeah, a lot about this real estate, like the dynamics of the real estate market, it's just very logical when you think about it. People don't necessarily want to move in the winter, right? The weather's Mm -hmm. bad, there's holidays, you're out with family, Mm -hmm. Um, the kids might be in school, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And then summer comes around, that's the perfect time to to pack a U-Haul and move, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just a very logical so it kind of curve that, that, uh, that is that an follows. annual cycle, yeah. Yep. And that, that annual cycle has been going on as far back as we have records. Prehistory. Uh, so, yeah, prehistoric times when dinosaurs <laughs> were buying and selling houses or caves, they were yeah. same trends. They didn't want to move when it was cold out, so... Makes sense. I guess they were hibernating. I don't know. Did dinosaurs hibernate? I think hunter-gatherers. <laughs> <laughs> Their real estate market is quite different than ours. <laughs> but the time they wanted to move was the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were not moving in the winter. They were hunkered down. All right. Um, one other thing I wanted to show, and or not show because it's a podcast and you can't see anything I'm looking at, but one thing that I wanted to point out, homes in Seattle. Now, this is, again... This is condos, townhomes, single-family homes, all homes for sale in Seattle. On average, in just one year, prices went up $94,000. Wow. So in one year, almost went up hundred grand. Yeah. So if you were looking at, it, at buying a house a year ago, that same house right now is worth $100,000 more. Interest rates have also increased in that time, which affects your payment quite a bit as well. This trend is not expected to slow down too much, so I just like to point that out. If you are thinking about buying, it it would make sense to evaluate your situation, evaluate the market, and I mean, we're always happy to chat with people and help them understand what's going on for their specific situation, but um feel free to reach out, sign up for one of our home buyer classes. They're totally free. Like I said, beersandhomebuying.com, beer like the drink, beers and the word and, homebuying.com. Yeah, and I want to make a point. A lot of people, you know, Christian's mentioned this already twice now. We're not necessarily normal agents. Um, We're known. (laughs) I almost pride myself in the fact that I talk people out of Mm -hmm. buying a house probably more often than I talk them into it. Because I think it's really important just to present the data. This is the fact of the matter. This is what the market's telling us. Um, And what is your situation? And how Mm -hmm. does that tie in? And um, sometimes it's a good idea. Sometimes it's not. We had a client a while back who was uh, contemplating buying a house um, and he decided not to. He decided to invest in uh, opening a restaurant. He just happened to win the James Beard Award for the best new restaurant in Seattle, or in the country. Uh, 
yesterday, the day before. Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. So sometimes th- things work out, and that's an exceptional example. But a lot of times, it is not a good idea to buy a house for people. And I think yep. uh, you need somebody to help you to guide you through that. And, and we're here for that. We're not also we're not always here to guide you into the buying a house. It's, Only buying. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, sometimes it doesn't make sense for people, and we'll tell you that. All right, so Dan's here, itching. He wants to talk. He wants to tell you all about the mortgage market. He, we're only giving him five minutes. That's it, Dan. You only get five minutes. So he's going to talk for five minutes about mortgages, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to tell you all about the top three neighborhoods coming up uh, right after Dan talks. So stay tuned and see what neighborhoods out there are awesome for you. Hey, what's going on, Christian, Jason, and crew? Uh, It's great to be back on the Seattle Real Estate Radio podcast. My name is Dan Keller, branch manager and mortgage advisor at Guild Mortgage right here in Seattle. And um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about kind of uh, the mortgage market and what's going on. I would just say, let's let's just talk about 2018 so far. So in the last uh, five, five months. Uh, as Jay, as Christian and I do- discussed later in the end of 2017, mortgage rates were on the rise, and they certainly have done exactly that here in 2018. And so, what I try to do with each one of my clients, and and I think this will be helpful for our listeners, is to kind of explain the why behind it. Um, I think I think we've all been conditioned and, and quite frankly brainwashed over the last six years of 30-year fixed rates in the in the 3% range. Um, you know, just when you think of 30-year fixed, you think of the, the 3%, 3 point something percent mark. And that's because that's where rates have been. They've been in the upper threes, mid to upper threes for the last, you know, uh, six, seven years. So when I'm sitting down to meet with new clients today, I'm, I explain to him this is where interest rates are at today. This is what they've done in the short term. And this is what they've done over the last five or six months. And then this is where I think they're heading based off of current market statistics and economic news. Uh, you have to understand also that I follow um, some of the nation's top economists. Um, I really understand how the stock market and bond market moves mortgage rates. And, and I think that also helps when I'm explaining this to my clients. But for now, uh, interest rates are up over a half a percentage point since November of 2017. And as I explain the why behind that, I think it's really important to understand, you know, back in 2011 and 2012, when the Obama administration really needed to do something to uh, to get the housing market uh, fired up again and get the housing market moving. What they did is they initiated something that you can Google and look up called QE. It's called quantitative easing. And what that is and what that means is it typically happens when the government puts money, money that they've generated or printed, if you will, into the economy to stimulate the economy. And they did so in regards to buying approximately $25 billion a month in mortgage-backed securities. And what that did is that caused uh, mortgage rates to, uh, to drop. And what happened, too, is you also saw foreign countries um, start wanting to get in on the game. Hey, if the U.S. is doing it, we should. And so you had China and you had uh, other countries investing in mortgage-backed securities. Well, let's start fast-forwarding to 2015. Uh, when Obama was coming to the end of his term, he made the announcement that they were going to taper or phase out of, of providing such subsidies in the marketplace. So they were going to reduce the subsidy 
in in regards to mortgage-backed securities from $25 billion a month down to $21 billion. And that's when we started to see mortgage rates start to increase. And then as Trump came into office, uh, as recent as January 2018, he reduced the subsidies from $21 billion a month down to $17 billion a month. And that's what really caused the most recent hike in interest rates in 2018. Now, if you if you read any of the Fed notes uh, recently, you'd also notice that the Fed has plans by the year 2025 to pull out entirely of supporting mortgage-backed securities. So literally from 2012 to 2025, $25 billion a month in subsidies to lower mortgage rates down to zero by 2025. So you can only imagine as the economy continues to improve, and the government pulls out of buying mortgage-backed securities where rates will be at that time. Currently speaking, without giving you a rate quote, and then before I talk about rates, I should probably give you my MLO number. My name is Dan Keller, mortgage loan officer with Guild Mortgage. My MLO number is 11523, excuse me, 349, 115349. Uh, today, it is May 8th, 2018. You know, 30-year fixed rates are trending in the 4.5 to 4.625 price range, depending on points, discount points. Um, and so, you know, like I said, that's up about a half a point um, since January, December, January. So I hope this helps. If you have any questions, um, you can reach out to me. You can follow me online. I produce a weekly Making Sense of the Market video blog, um, and that is at, uh, on my website at www.thedankellergroup.com. Uh, my link's down below in regards to where you're finding this podcast. And uh, I look forward to fielding any questions you might have on mortgages, getting pre-approved, and what I feel and where I think rates will be heading in 2018. Uh, again, hey, Christian, Jason, thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you all real soon. All right. Thank you, Dan. Now you know why interest rates just went up. Very interesting. Very informative. Very. Uh all right, so let's talk about these neighborhoods that, that we kind of, each of us have our own little take on which neighborhoods are, are kind of the next up and coming. Um, I'll go first. Northgate is is going to be huge. Um, there's a lot going on there. So light rail, obviously, if you've driven past Northgate Mall, you know that there's a lot of construction going on on the south end of the mall. That is the light rail station that's going to open up in 2021. And... One, about a month ago, in April, end of March, early April, Simon Malls, who or Simon Properties, or whatever they're called, the owner of Northgate Mall, and lots of other malls across the country, they uh, released a statement saying that they are planning to uh, redo the entire Northgate Mall. So I don't know if you guys know this history, but Northgate was the, I believe it was the first mall, like real mall as we know them, this side of the Mississippi, or possibly even in the U.S., I can't remember what the stat was, but yeah, it kind of like uh, created the first like mall centric right? yeah. indoor shopping facility. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of crazy. Very crazy. You would never think that. Of, yeah, you know, and I think that was in nineteen fifty five or something, something like, like that that, that it yeah. opened. Hmm. Um, pretty crazy. So it's gone through. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Seattle in North Seattle, there used to be this really old, even at the time when I was a kid, a crappy movie theater. And that was there, and I remember going to movies there. Um, Charlie, who we work with, used to be a projectionist in that theater. I don't know if wow. you guys knew that. How funny. Uh, yeah. I could um, see that. I could see that. They also had a medical building on the very north end. 
where kind of where Stanford's is now, attached to the mall, which was, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> the mall is going to change, and they're coinciding this uh, redo of the mall with the light rail opening in 2021. At least that's their goal. I don't know if they're actually going to be able to because they haven't started any of the construction or even gotten this approved yet. But currently, that mall land is 55 acres. That's a hell of a lot of land, especially right next to a very popular light rail station and park and ride area. Yep. So the goal is to reduce, or their plan is, I guess, to reduce the square feet of retail space. So right now, the mall is around a million square feet of retail stores. They're going to cut that in half about 500,000 to 700,000 square feet of retail. So they're going to redo that entire mm. layout. Um, they're going to add 500 to 750,000 square feet of Class A commercial space, which is like super nice, high-end, high-rise type. Um, and then they're going to add, and so the commercial space office towers are going to be on the south end of the mall, which if you ever really pay attention, that's where a lot of that office space already is. So that area is gonna change. And then on the north end of the mall, kind of near Target, um, they're gonna add a several hundred units of housing. So right now the height restriction in there is 85 feet. That's gonna increase another 10 feet uh, in the near future. And so they can go almost 95 feet in the air soon. Mm, Currently, wow. that mall is all single story except for like Macy's and Nordstrom and JCPenney. So other than that, everything is single, single level. So there's a ton of room that they can grow. So imagine that neighborhood right now versus maybe five years from now. I mean, it's 2018, 2021, that's three years from now. Three years from now, that area could potentially look completely different, right? Yeah, and we're already seeing clients, you know, so they've project, they've they, uh, stated that they are going to build a light rail station years ago, but now it is actually, it's coming to fruition, it's going to be open in a few years, and you see now a, already a huge impact on people who are looking at properties in Northgate because they know that light rail is coming. That's going to change how that neighborhood is connected to the rest of the city. Mm -hmm. That is going to meet their expectations in terms of what a commute is for them. So no longer are they forced to look at Capitol Hill, for example, if they want a very short commute to downtown, they can now extend that dramatically to new areas in Seattle. Yep. And uh, and that's kind of the first step. You know, U District kind of opened up recently in a way with that, uh, with Link opening up there. But with it, it kind of coming to the Northgate area, that's going to change um, dramatically mm -hmm. how that area is connected. Um, and, you know, another thing to consider is we as agents are always thinking resale. Yep. You know, how is this neighborhood going to perform in five to ten years? What is changing that's going to either improve or diminish um, the, the appeal of the neighborhood and, in turn, the resale? And, uh, man, there is so much going on in Northgate that is positive yeah. to that appreciation. So Yeah. And one thing that I haven't mentioned yet, so obviously there's a lot of attention being paid to the east side of I-5, where Northgate Mall is, where the light rail station's going. Everyone's looking over there. No one's looking at Licton Springs, which is that little neighborhood right across I-5 on the west side, 
right across. That's right where uh, North Seattle Community College is. Right, yeah. Or is it, what is it yeah, called? Yeah, it's North Seattle. It's still North Seattle. Yep. They haven't changed like all the other community college to just college. college. I yeah, think so. I thought it was North Seattle College. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. They all change so many times. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're, that, act, they're actually going to build a pedestrian bridge. Exactly. Um, across the highway connecting basically the light rail station, more or less, mm-hmm. to that area um, near the, the near the college. It, I mean, so that opens up a lot of those residential areas. You're going to be able to literally just leave your house, walk across the street, yep. or walk then across the highway, yep. and get on your light rail and be, you know, in a downtown or even to the airport and beyond. Yeah. So there's Very been easily. studies. So again, we're always talking resale. We're always thinking resale. There's been studies that show across the country housing within a quarter mile radius of a light rail station increases 25% more than outside of that radius. So the closer you are, 25.25 mile radius, a quarter mile, that is about a five minute walk. So if you're on the other side of I-5 in Licton Springs, um, even if it was a seven minute walk, uh, your property values over there are going to increase much faster than some of the other neighborhoods nearby. So if you can buy house A in Licton Springs and house B in Greenwood, everything's the same, price, beds, uh, baths, square footage, everything, I would 10 out of 10 times recommend that you buy in Licton Springs because the potential for properties to increase in value there is much better. So I just wanted to explain that story. So let's go over some stats real quick. Um, the average residential house uh, for sale right now in the Northgate area, so I'm talking just townhomes and single-family homes, uh, the average price is $760,000. That's up 15.6% from last April, 2017. Condos, I'm going to do that because that everyone here is 760 and they're like, well, I can never buy. Well, you actually can. Condos, the average price of a condo is only 358000 and there's actually quite a few condos, and they're sneaky. You don't really realize that they're there in Northgate, but there's quite a few back there uh, on that south end that um, some of them are really nice. Some of them are older buildings, but that's where you have the opportunity with this new influx of people and uh, property values. It's where you can potentially find a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, property values for condos have increased 22.4% over the last year in Northgate. That's pretty crazy. That's a huge increase. Uh, average days on market in that area are, is just seven to eight days. I mean, that's pretty standard for a lot of Seattle. Um, average percent of list price, percentage over list price. So we talked about that earlier uh, a little bit as well for all of Seattle. Um, for Northgate, it's 112.6%. So things are going 12.6% over the asking price in Northgate right now. And... That's a 4.5% increase from 2017. And then lastly, the number of homes for sale in April 2018 versus April 2017, they've increased. The number of homes for sale in Northgate has increased 80%. Oh, my goodness. So people are already seeing their values increase, and they're going, sweet, we're cashing out. We're moving to wherever they want to move. Um, So that's a huge increase. So there's more opportunity there for you to actually buy something, which is... I mean, that's helpful for people that are looking to buy. Anthony, you're up. What neighborhood did you you zero in on? Um, So I was looking at that east 
part of West Seattle um, known as Delridge. Mm-hmm. So um, West Seattle, I know, is like some sort of foreign land to a lot of people in the Seattle area. <laughs> um, but uh, it's actually a really, really great diverse area that still holds a lot of value. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it as far as um, as far as the market goes with average average price I mean you're you're well below what the uh, what the average for Seattle in general is um, average price right now for Del Ridge is at about five hundred and sixty thousand so I mean yeah compared that, to Northgate where it's 760 that's it, a huge yeah, difference exactly. and that's why that area in my opinion that's where most buyers that are first-time buyers a lot of them are looking there yeah over yeah. the last year we've sold numerous homes in that area where Three years ago, we were barely barely selling anything in that area. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's it really is a great area for first time buyers. Um, not only you know when you're talking about the average sale price, not only um, is that reflected with uh, how long the the uh, houses are on the market for, which is a considerable amount higher than what you might see in other neighborhoods in Seattle, but also just the price, like you were saying um, yeah. in Northgate, the price over list um, that these houses are selling for is much closer to the list price at 101% oh, wow. of the list price. So Yeah, compared to Northgate where that's 112 exactly. exactly over list price. So that's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, um, Delridge, the area itself, uh, it, it has a lot to offer. I mean, West Seattle in general is is a great area. I've li- I lived there for a while, um, and there's some beautiful parks, uh, some really great restaurants, uh, places for nightlife if you're younger and like to go out. Um, you're not far away either from Soto, Georgetown, even just going up to to the uh, to, Alki. to Seattle, to Seattle oh, yeah. or Alki, yeah. yeah, Alki is great. Um, yeah, especially this time of year. I mean, you it's go out there right bonfire. now. Exactly. Yeah. You feel like you're on vacation when you're in yeah. like San Diego. It's, it yeah, does it's not crazy. feel like Seattle at all. No. And that's what kind of one nice thing too about West Seattle is like you're in the city, but you don't feel like you're in the city. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's. It's great. Um, so I'm going to jump in real quick. If anyone doesn't know anything or doesn't know much about, uh, if, you're, if you're listening and going, I don't know much about that area, I wish I learned more. We actually offer free neighborhood tours where we'll throw you in our car. Literally throw. In the trunk. No. <laughs> Drive <laughs> you out to West Seattle. <laughs> Let you out. And Next make you wander fire. home. <laughs> No, we, we drive you around and we educate you about neighborhoods that yeah. you don't necessarily know about. Because, I mean, I'm born and raised here. It, I could explain. I can go on for days and days and days. We've sold homes in all these different neighborhoods. We can teach you what you get for your what for you get for your budget in different neighborhoods and help you understand the different restaurants, the best parks, all that fun stuff. Yeah, and I, one thing that I will add, too, is in my opinion... Um, the skyline view from mm-hmm. from Alki is the best view of the Seattle city skyline. Yeah, I think versus the Cary Park view that you always from, see from Queen Anne. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's just my that opinion. comes from I a think true it's West great. Seattle. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you get to see it in all its glory. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Jason, uh, Jason's got one more neighborhood he wants to yeah. share with us. Where are you so gonna... um, I gotta say, the skyline from Beacon Hill. <laughs> is also pretty nice in certain areas. but um, And I know that because I used to live there and yeah. I had a nice view. So, so it is yeah. pretty sweet. 
Yeah, so I, you know, Beacon Hill is really an up and coming area as well. Um, it's a massive area. If you look on a map, um, it encompasses a great amount of distance, especially north to south. Um, it's very long but thin. Yeah, and there's a lot, a lot of changes happening in that area. So just some statistics really quick. The amount of houses that are for sale in Beacon Hill year over year is up 14.5%, while Seattle as a whole is down 9.1%. So you hear this in the headlines, you see this um, in the data itself. Seattle inventory, there's fewer and fewer houses on the market um, because there's no vacant land. And so, you know, a lot of things are, a lot of areas are developing, but there's just really very little land to build new houses on. So Beacon Hill, there's a lot of development. That's an area that's really helping Seattle in terms of increasing density. Mm -hmm. um, so that affords you a lot of opportunity as a buyer um, and a seller, quite frankly. The sales price in Beacon Hill currently is $598,000. Um, That's the average sale price. The average sale price, yeah. Hmm. Uh, for a condo in that area, it's 381. So condo, condos, there's some really nice opportunities there. Um, Seattle as a whole, just so you know, is about 680, depending on uh, this, the statistic you're looking at. But, it, you know, you, you can see, see right now it looks like it's about $680,000 is the average sale price. So Beacon Hill is more affordable as a whole on average. However, the sales price in Beacon Hill is increasing almost 20% year over year, while Seattle has increased about 16. Um, so Beacon Hill slowly but surely kind of uh, catching up. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important to acknowledge that there's a lot of areas in Beacon Hill and um, a lot of different feels. Yeah. If you go to these neighborhoods and they, they're quite different. And if you step out of Beacon Hill a little bit and you see Columbia City and uh, Rainier Beach and all these things, there's all these different kind of commercial districts mm -hmm. with their own kind of culture and, and like Christian said, feel. Um, I have clients all the time who are looking in this area and they're pleasantly surprised because you turn a corner and there's a little commercial area that's perfect for the neighborhood that they're living in. So Beacon Hill is a great opportunity. Um, there's a ton of development. Every week you go down there, there's something else coming up. Um, yeah. One thing that's cool about Beacon Hill, and I know this just because I lived there for years, is North Beacon Hill has a lot of really cool old craftsman homes built in the early 1900s, 1920s. So it's a completely different feel than mid-Beacon Hill and South Beacon Hill, where it's more 1940s, 50s, 60s homes. Mm. Um, a lot of brick, a lot of uh, more ramblers or one-story with a basement type homes in that area. So yeah, and it's it, interesting. Yeah, and in Beacon Hill also, you can find, along with really all the neighborhoods we mentioned, but I think exceptionally true for Beacon Hill, you can find some homes there that you not you can't necessarily find in other areas. So, for example, there was a house in Beacon Hill that had six bedrooms. It was almost 2,800 square feet. That's massive for Seattle. Yeah. You don't see stuff like that very often unless it's millions of dollars or a million dollars. And this was listed for $615,000. And it was a good house. So and it had like a duplex. It wasn't technically legally a duplex, but yeah. it had a mother-in-law apartment in the Correct. basement. And it was on a green belt. I mean, so there's some amazing opportunities in that area that you just don't necessarily see in other areas of Seattle proper. Yeah. So before we wrap things up, I want to make sure that you guys know, if you're in the market to buy, you can buy. 
it's not impossible out there. I mean, Jason, you just had a client this week that they got their first offer accepted. Yeah, we've been looking for about two weeks. Not That's to set it. the wrong expectation, y'all. <laughs> but they've been looking for two weeks. We went out a few times and uh, we found this amazing house. It had been on the market for quite some time, for a few weeks. Um, in this in this market, a few weeks is a long time. Is uh, ancient. Yeah. And they were able to present an offer and get it accepted. That is very uh, buyer protected. So they're able to really feel confident about this buy and, and move forward with a lot of security. Um, and for a first time home buyer, especially, it can be very, very scary when you commit to something. So having that ability to have something that's that protects you is, is a huge plus. You can't always get that depending on where you're looking, but, but you know, it happened for them. It happens regularly with our clients and mm -hmm. uh, there's opportunities out there. Yeah, and I mean, I think one, one stat for our team that really speaks to that, um, that we like to make a point um, of sharing with, with potential clients and clients um, is our team averaging under one and a half offers Per, per sale with our buyers um, in the last year. And I mean, in this market, that, that stat really just speaks for itself with mm -hmm. how competitive people understand the market is and how many offers they kind of anticipate um, going in thinking they're gonna have to make. Yeah, I mean, in your head right now, podcast listener, silently raise your hand if you have a friend that's made three offers or five offers or seven offers or 10 offers, I mean, a friend or a coworker or whatever, it's pretty common to hear numerous offers. And that's a lot of time and frustration. Our clients, we educate them a lot. Like we spend so much time educating you. We, we do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of what it takes to buy a house upfront. Um, and that, that's reflected in how long it takes our clients to get a house. And, uh, and if you're interested, like I've mentioned it a few times, but if you're interested in learning, how to buy a house, you can come drink beer, eat food, and listen to us talk for an hour and a half, and then chat with us even. Ask us questions during the class. Um, just go to beersandhomebuying.com. Um, our next one is May, I don't even remember. May 23rd, I think. 23rd. It's always a Wednesday evening. Uh, this one's in South Lake Union at the Lunchbox Laboratory. Go to beersandhomebuying.com. You can sign up. If that doesn't work for you, it's at 6 p.m., uh, if that doesn't work for you, we also, on that same website, have a uh, form that you can fill out. It shows you when our upcoming classes are, and we can email you and let you know that, hey, we're opening up registration for these other classes as well. Again, yeah, we're a little weird. We uh, don't get a client and say, let's go look at houses. We say, stop, let's educate first. Let's yep. see where we are. Um, and so that's why we love, come to our class. It's not it's not a sales pitch per se. No, we're, we're trying to not. teach you you know, this is what works for our clients. This mm -hmm. is how you win a house in Seattle. Um, and uh, and then you can go from there with uh, informed yeah. and make stronger, more informed decision, decisions. Everyone wants to do that. So, yeah. So that's it for this uh, podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. You can head over to awesomenawesome.com. That's A-W-E-S-O-M-E. N-O-S-S-U-M dot com. If you want to schedule a neighborhood tour, you can actually just go to the schedule page and you can actually schedule that right there. If you want to meet with us face-to-face, 
Um, we have initial consultations on there. Everything's free. Uh, we don't we don't get paid until you buy a house. That's how uh, that's how we work. So um, feel free to reach out. Let us know if you have any questions and uh, and please rate the show. We love ratings, good or bad. We're always trying to get better. So rate the show on whatever you're listening to um, and let us know uh, how we can get better. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks. Thanks. All.